Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. It is a pleasure to see everyone here this first Sunday in November. Um, my name is Antramika Knight, and I have the pleasure of welcoming you here to River City Church in Smyrna, Georgia. I'm so glad to see Shane and Justin, who had, a, had an adventure this morning, so we're excited that they are um, here with us. <laughs> Um, here at River City, we read a psalm every week. It's from the lectionary where there's a calendar of various psalms to read and worship and pray into. Um, it is something that's done throughout the world, and it's a way for us to just remind ourselves that we are part of the global church, and we are all the bride of Christ. Um, today's psalm is Psalm 146, and it's so, as I was reading it and praying through it this week, it really speaks to a lot of the things that are the current tensions of the world um, about who we trust and put, um, our, who we trust in, things that we are all individually praying for God to do. And I hope that this morning as we read it and then pray that we find it as a word of encouragement and that this is not the only moment you use it as a way to connect with the Lord. And it starts with, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in the Son of Man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the soldiers. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, 
But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we come to you humbly this morning, thanking you for living, leaving the gift of salvation, leaving the Holy Spirit in which we know is here today, who is present, who is ready to welcome us with worship, word, and prayer. We thank you that we have the opportunity to gather together to serve one another. We thank you that we have the opportunity to be in community, Father God. God, we pray for the injustices that just not here in North America or South America, but that stretches across the globe. We pray for our sisters and brothers in Christ, Father God, who may have to gather in secret. We pray for the fatherless, Father God. Let us not forget that there are orphans. There are kids who are tonight as they go to bed are praying for a mother and a father, Father God, for an extended family. We pray for those adults who are just going to be grieving during the holiday season, God. Let us not forget them as we make our plans, as we prep our Thanksgiving tables, or as we think about Christmas to celebrate you, Father God. Let's remind our hearts to open themselves up to others, God. Let us not think of extended family as those with the same last name or blood type, but those that are just here and that they are human, God. Let us remember our own humanity. Let us think about Paul as he wrote letter after letter, encouraging community and unity, Father God. Thank you that this is a season in which we can reflect on those things. We thank you for our River City family, Father God. We thank you, Father God, that day in and day out, whether we're praying for financial increase or more love or restore marriages, that we can turn to you. We thank you that we trust in you, Father God, and anything that we're putting our trust in man over you, Father God, we repent on that today. Instead, we leave things here and we turn our hearts to you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. As we're going to keep praying, as we pour out our hearts to God, not only the deepest part of our own. And so let us pour out our hearts for the sake of the world. And so let us intercede and go to God for our world and our community, for the people in our lives who are broken and hurting for the needs in this local body. So God, will you bind the global church this morning together in unity? One of the most segregated mornings of the week, will you move us towards unity? Will you move us towards wholeness? Will you heal the body of Christ? Will you make us one even as you and the Father are one? God, we lift up the world and the needs of the world. I was reminded this week, even as we just had the news reel on on mute, that there was story after story after story after story, evidence of brokenness and injustice and oppression and war and violence. And God, we need you. Will you make your hand evident in a supernatural way? God, I'm asking you to move and to move in our hearts to participate 
And even if, if it begins with practicing here, God, we lift up our nation, our leaders and the government as we build up to Tuesday and how so many people are hinging their hopes on Tuesday. And we say our hope is in you. Our hope is not on Tuesday. Our hope is in you, but teach us how to steward our responsibility how to steward our God-given wisdom and discernment for the sake of this country. We ask for wisdom for our leaders, for the president, for state government and national government. Will you move in their hearts? And will you move our hearts to respect and honor and pray? Will Will you help us steward our responsibility not to lash out in anger, but to speak with grace and love and even forgiveness? Will we forgive each other? And on Tuesday, would we look for an opportunity to love and serve rather than to proclaim our rights? God, will you move in the city of Smyrna and in Cobb County and in Georgia? Will you move in us to move? Teach us small ways and big ways where we can move your kingdom forward. Teach us the ways we can care for the poor and the widow and the orphan and the alien, for the oppressed and the misfit. God, will you move our hearts to justice? But let us not be judged because that's not our job. Our job is to love. And finally, for the needs of this local body, for River City, for the brokenness and the hurt, for the pain, for the rejoicing, for the good and the bad, we lift that up to you this morning. And I'm gonna give you, you all a couple of seconds to, I'm gonna encourage you to speak out your need. If not, if, you, if you're not there yet, if you'll just lift up your need to the Lord for yourself or someone else. form our hearts this morning as we lift our eyes to you in worship as we humble ourselves will you reorient our hearts to love you and to love others in Jesus name amen today we get to preach our last sermon from first Peter so if we can pray real quick Lord, I just thank you for this first day in November I love this day I love that we get another hour I love that we get to be with our brothers and sisters. I love that you are present in our midst right now, that your tangible presence is here, desiring for us to pick up the word together, to look at the word together, and then allow your Holy Spirit to speak into our hearts about that living, breathing word. Help us to not see this just as a book of truth, but as an alive representation pointing to the living Jesus. It is powerful because Jesus is the main character. It's the John the Baptist, God. 
Help us to not be something we use to legalize things or make burdens upon people, but help it to be the thing that we take burdens off people with. Help it to be the living word that helps us to interact with the living Savior that is with us now. Help us to understand that every time we take a word in or two words in or a chapter in, that you're speaking in that moment. It's divine. There's a dynamic interplay happening every time we pick it up. I actually pray, God, that you would restore our desire to read the word. And if that needs to happen in the midst of a group of people so that we can remember this is important, let it happen. God, I pray for the older people in this room that have decided it's just not important to read the word anymore. Help them to fall back in love with the word because, again, it is you. Not just because it's word and there's facts that can be learned, but because reading the word and understanding the word and talking about the word and disagreeing upon stuff and arguing and even loving in the midst of helps us to grow as a community. Help us to gather around the word. Help us to be a people that desire to do that, God. Help us to be people that are discipled again. Help us to be marked by that, by growing in you. Help us to have people in this congregation that are mature, that you can look to and say, that is a mature Christian, not because they lord over people, but because they serve people the way that Jesus did. And they're available to teach and love and admonish and spur one another on. Help this to be a community, God, that's marked by growth spiritually. We desire this. I so desire that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I said, this is the last one. And a couple things about 1 Peter that you just need to know. Um, This book, again, was written in incredible persecution. Not like we know. Incredible persecution. People were dying daily. You might lose your spouse one day. You might lose your brother one day that loves the Lord. It might cost you that in this society. And there's a lot of struggle happening because of that. And so Peter writes this, this book to this group of people to encourage them. He writes it from a father's heart because he loves these people. He cares for the people around him, which is a shift from what we read about him in Mark, which was about Jesus coming to dominate and win. And he doesn't get it yet. He gets it here. Jesus didn't come to dominate and win. Jesus came to love. Jesus came to serve. Jesus came to die for his, for his, man, or for his fellow man. And so today as we jump into this, this is the last one. And I'm trying to be as concise as possible, but this passage carries so many of the kind of cliche things we, we recite in certain times. It's one that I often daily recite because it carries the passage about cast your anxieties upon the Lord. And I don't know if there's a society anywhere that carries more anxiety than our society. I don't think that there is. Even in the Christian community where I think we should be talking about the peace and the joy and the righteousness of God, which is my hope that we work that way. It's still the conversations are all about, I've just been busy, right? Who has said, I've just been busy in the last week? Raise your hand. Who hasn't? So you need to start a seminar. You need to just post it on Facebook, and you will make $1,000 times 1000 Because we are, and with kind of the burden of all these things that we feel like we have to do comes a massive amount of anxiety. And what do we do with our anxiety, right? Like, what do we do with it? It's there, right? It's, it's not just as easy. We want to say, just pray, you know, just pray that away and it'll go away. And it's just not that easy. If it was, this would be just a quick. But we carry it differently. We live it out differently. And the most troubling thing about anxiety is that in it, especially leadership walking in anxiety, has some of the strongest potential to harm others at any other time in their life. And they can be the greatest people. They can be the most amazing leader who's the most gifted. But in 
Deep stress and anxiety, we harm people like we would not normally harm people. You see it play out in your families. You see it play out in your marriage. Sign up for this. You see it play out at work. You see it play out when you start to be really critical of everybody around you. Like, nobody's doing anything, right? Like, everybody's the enemy. You start building cases against everyone. Anxiety creates these things that are so large And then we just kind of live in it forever, not really knowing what to do with it. And so I hope this passage encourages you. But the reason it's written is because it's his final words to this community. And again, the communities in this time were to take Jesus to a city. People didn't know Jesus. They showed up and they showed who Jesus was by the incredibly selfless things they were doing. The power of God was there. They were breaking bread together. They were eating in one another's homes. They were, no one had a need and people were flocking to this. Persecution provides a really good, a really good place for people to to find Jesus. Just like in your life, a struggling time provides some of the best places to find Jesus. And so I want to remind you of that before we jump into these passages. The only other thing I would say is we crave examples. And especially in Christianity, when you start getting to a place where you're like, I want to get serious about this. Like, I think there should all for all of us, at some season in your life, there should be a time where you're like, I, I want to get serious about this. Like, I know that, you know, I was raised in this city and I, I've, I can say that John 316, I've driven by it. I've gone to Panama City, seen all the people like the fiery flames and Turn back now or call this number if you'd like to repent. I've seen all those. That's scary, right? Like, I understand that Jesus is good. I've been to the Christmas plays. I've seen candlelight services. I've sang songs. I understand it. But now I know for me, it's gotta, it's, there's a transition that's got to happen. It's got to go from that to like, this is my life. This is what I'm carrying. This is why I'm on this planet. I think that has to happen for everyone. And if it hasn't happened, don't beat yourself up, right? Continue to hunger and thirst after. Continue to seek God. But I think when that happens, I think there needs to be a place for those people to land. So when I was looking for what Sarah and I would do after, and we did this together, we transitioned from youth ministry, and we were fried. Partially our own fault, because I was trying to achieve so many things to be so important. Partially because the systems we were in promoted doing that, and so... We just did it. And people celebrated the thing, the very things that make you unhealthy in Christian communities. Like people are clapping as you're accomplishing, th- in accomplishing things and dying inside. And that's, that's a very real thing in our spiritual communities. We transitioned from that and we were like, something's got to be different. So we have to find somebody. We have to see a model of someone doing what we want to do and, who, and someone that's doing what we want to become. And the, it was very simple for us. We needed to see people who cared for other people, not people who knew how to talk about caring for other people, People who went slow enough to care for people, we found it in our network. And our network's not perfect, but it does some things a lot righter than other places. And one of those things is creating space for the people in the network. And we found that within our, our group of people that we, and they, they reestablished some things in our lives. We saw something that was like, if this is what it can be about, let's make it about this. If it can be about this. We also, in that process of looking, saw some things we were like, there's a model of something we never want to become. Right? And I think for all of us, we have lenses to be able to see that. And it's not our job to then see what we don't want to become and make it our life mission to destroy that. It's our job to see what we do want to become and go towards it. Right? 
It's the idea of Jesus flipping over the tables. Not to say the church is stupid, but because he's trying to build the church. He's flipping his tables on the way in. He's not flipping the tables on the way out. And we're getting to that next week. And many of us have flipped the tables and walked out thinking we've been Jesus. We're not being Jesus. He flipped them to go in. He flipped them to go back in and reestablish the beautiful thing that is the body of Christ. So the next time you're like, well, Jesus flipped tables and you're destroying people on your way out, you're not being Jesus. That is not him. Anybody can label what we don't like. It's much harder to flip a table over and go in. Does that make sense? That's next week. I don't know why I went in right there, but I felt like I wanted to a little bit. So, okay. So 1 Peter 5. I'm going to read this to you, all of it, really quick. We got a TV up last week. <laughs> we don't have it working yet. So, don't you look at me. Don't you look at me. It's, it's right there for whenever we're, it'll be, it'll be awesome. So, okay, sorry, back with me. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 14, the last passage we will read in this book. So, I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves. You do not want to have God humble you. That's all I'm saying about that. In the Old Testament, when God humbled somebody, they died. So, humble yourselves before God. Amen? All right. So, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Humbling correctly, he exalts you when you can handle it. It's beautiful. Cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. John Thurlow also said that. Cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore you. He will restore you. Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I want all that stuff. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, so I'm just going to say this about this guy, right? He's mentioned here. He's one of the, most, he's one of the guys most responsible for establishing the church. This is his glory. But this is it. Sometimes you are a part of establishing the most important thing that ever happened on earth, and you don't really get recognized like other people. And that's good, right? He is totally all up in this, getting it done. And he's just being mentioned at the end. A faithful brother, brother, as I regard him, I have written you briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. And this is the whole letter he's talking about. Stand firm in this whole letter that you've now, we've gone through. She who is at Babylon who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love, peace to all of you who are in Christ. And again, the kiss of love, 
That is something, right? Like in this culture, it was a way to show deep affection. It's also for our culture a way to show deep affection, but sometimes people don't want it. So it's also a way to stalk people and be creepy. But at the end of this letter, the thing he's ending with is whatever you have to do to show the deepest affection to one another, right? Please do not walk up and kiss me. I love, I mean, there are people that do that. I know somebody on the back row back there. Who's it calling somebody out? What? We maybe, maybe don't kiss. Maybe just show your love to one another with action. Like that's a big deal. At, at a previous church we were at, we had a guy that kissed every person. New people, young girls, it was not a good thing. So we just want to be careful about the kissing. Okay, guys, I don't need to get into kissing right here, but do I need to talk about kissing? No? All right, moving on. So really quickly, I'm going to jump through some of this. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I love you. (laughs) All right. So, So for Paul, when he would travel to these different churches, this is different the way that they set this up. These are, this is the role of the elder in the church. And this book is specifically talking about the role of the older people that lead in church. And so he would go to these communities, and one of the first things he would do is he would find these people, and he would make sure that they were doing all of these things, and he would set them up in the churches. And there would be a vast number of them. It wouldn't be like three or four. We're lucky to have three or four in our churches today that want to do it. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But that was the first thing he did because he knew that if he could establish that level of leadership, the older people who can serve and love and listen to younger people who don't want to submit because guess what? Younger people don't want to submit. And that's just a part of being younger, okay? So he wanted to establish these people in the church. And when he did, he would show up. And these are, this is some of the things mentioned here. And it was an honor. If you were approached and people were like, and he was like, would you like to be an elder? church in Corinth. People would be like, yes, I want to do that. I want to do it now. Because it was such a dramatic honor that you could be thought of to lead the church of God on this planet, especially in this time, that they would be jumping in. Does that make sense? It's different today. Now you've kind of got to be like, you need to do this. And here's, here's the incentives, right? Like we're going to, because all of our wise counsel get free tickets to Atlanta United. They don't get any of that. They're actually awesome. But this doesn't start here either. Moses does this, and you've all heard the story when he gets overwhelmed and burdened, and they gather a ton of men in Numbers 11, 16 through 17. And, And so for Paul, when he was starting this, he had this idea that we have to have a healthy church. And to have a healthy church, our elders in the church, our older people, have to love people well. There's no healthy church that doesn't have that, right? I had a friend 10 years ago who had a church he planted and decided to transition from that church. And one of the first things he told me when we were thinking about it, it was a little bit before that, was we don't have elders in our church because it's just not biblical. And I was like, how does that? He he was so confident with it. I was like, okay, well, tell me a little bit about what you're talking about. It, It didn't work. Because if you don't have older, wiser people leading in your church, things are going to get crazy, right? And I also think this is why some of the older, wiser people in our churches get really frustrated with church because you have a bunch of younger, less wiser people leading and doing these one-off things that were never meant to be done, and they're like, guys, come on, this is stupid. What are we doing? Are we really going to spend all our time on this? Are we going to spend half our budget on a campaign to get people to come to our church, no discipleship and lights, and expect that that's going to produce Christians? And I'm going to get to this in a minute. Why are, where are all the older people? Where are all of the mothers and fathers in the spirit, right? Where are the people who want to pour in to, to people? Where are they? We're going to get to that in a minute. 
So it was different for them. It was deep care. It was a huge honor. If you were asked to be an elder, it was like, yes, I want to do that. Because they would care for people. We were praying, actually, last week as a staff. We always read the passage together, and then we do this thing where we kind of split up downstairs and just go pray. And I was sitting on this, like the small stage down there, and I felt in my like spirit man heart, which don't over-spiritualize that. That's more just like the way I'm trying to say the feeling I had. And I felt the church, our church, churches everywhere groaning, groaning for this. Where are the people that I can sit in front of when things aren't right and they can literally help me? Where are the people that when my marriage is failing, I can sit in front of and they can speak into it? Where are the people that when I have no answer for anything can point me back to the word and walk me through it? Where are the people that like when I am not submissive and I'm screaming my head off because I'm a young guy doing dumb things that will sit with me through that? Where are those people? I felt like God was challenging us into prayer to start to call those people back. And I don't know what that looks like yet, but I think it looks like honor. I think a lot of us need to say sorry to the generations before us because every generation comes and they think they have the thing that's going to change the world. And it always ends up being the same stuff. Love never fails. It never, it, it's, it's never this innovative. That's a good tool, right? But I wonder where those people are. But how desirable would it be to be loved by somebody that it talked about in verses 1 through 5? Will you pull 1 through 5 up again? A spiritual parent, right? Like if you could point to people that are doing this for you, somebody that will shepherd you, exercising oversight, not because they're going to get something out of you. Like you sit in front of them and you're like, this person has no desire to manipulate me. And this is not just for elders. This is for pastors. This is for any Christian should be working towards this kind of lifestyle where they care so well for someone that they can be known for being someone that cares well for someone. That's what I want. That's what I want our church to. I want our church to be so healthy at this. Somebody that exercises oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly creates space for you as God would have them, not for shameful game, not because they're going to get anything for you, but they're just eagerly wanting to serve. You can go to the next part. Not domineering over those in charge, but being examples. Not demanding, right? Like demanding that you do this thing, right? But being an example. An example of what? It gets to it in a minute. But likewise, you who are younger, and this is the most, this is the part we've laid into for so long. And I just think the younger people are tired of this. Younger people submit, right? Interesting thing about this passage, there's 11 words written to younger people. There's 85 words written to older people. 11 words to younger people, 85 words to older people. Do you know what happens to an unsubmissive younger person? They're an unsubmissive older person. (laughs) Do you know know what an unsubmissive older person does to an unsubmissive younger person? Nothing. Nothing to do with them. So what we have, I think, is an epidemic of unsubmissive younger people who are now older people. And we're demanding that they be spiritually mature, and they don't even know how, right? But I will say this. For those of us who look at the millennial generation and who look at the, like, hipster culture and who see people traveling all the time and, like, living for experience, like, we talk about this all the time. The new Norman church is, like, Sunday is now a day of rest, typically, because of our culture of, like, what we do with our families. So church is, like, secondary or third dairy. And that's not even a word, but it's, it's that order. That's, that's just, and our younger generation, 
they're sitting in our churches. And this, it's not if we get more innovative for them. It's not if we're like, finally provide the lights and the stuff. We're already seeing that's not working. Right? We're already seeing that's not working. But what happens to that generation when we become this first one through five for them? What happens when we're submissive and we sit in front of them and we love them and we're walking with them? What happens to that generation is they now fall in love with the church again. That's what happens. So we have to reach these older people and what's happening to them? What's happening to our older people? Why are they taking off? Because if you're unsubmissive and you grow up, here's what I think happens. You start to just build your life around yourself. And especially the generation before ours, the work ethic was everything. Work hard, make your money, leave your mark, get your property, buy your house, do your stuff, right? Like the American dream, right? We've spent so much time, and I'm kind of getting into that bracket now. Like we're, we're over that 41, 40, we're kind of bleeding into, and you feel it. Like you start to want to spend the rest of your life like making sure you're getting everything that you need to get done. Like I need to have my kids do the right stuff. I need to establish this. I need to, and what happens is these people, all of us, start to kind of build our own kingdoms, stepping away from the church, right? We need you back. And you're here, you're like, yeah, I'm here. I, some of you aren't here. Some of you aren't here. Some of you are very much not here. Some of you have, you would be parents to five or six of the people in this room if you would jump in. They would be so ready for it. But it would look like sacrifice for you. It would look like you'd have to hand in some things that are now luxuries in your life that mean so much to you, that you fought for. Then Jesus is saying, I want those back now. Because I have something better for you that you've never experienced. Spiritual parenting, spiritual fathering, spiritual mothering, loving people well, reestablishing the desires I've had from the beginning about the church. And it takes people who are mature, loving people who are not to get it done. Because the, the immature people today that we're all mad at will be immature in 20 years if we don't step up. They will. They might know how to step on a stage in front of a ton of people. They might be celebrated for their gifting. They might do all kinds of stuff. But caring for the flock of God and the sheep that God has presented to each city will not be done. It takes people who will step up, be submissive to one another. Just really quickly. Um, yeah, I, I just want to dabble again in where are they. Like I, I, get, I get so, um, actually two years ago I did this thing where I like located people that were older. And I emailed them. I was like, I just want to meet up. Our church desires deeply people who can pour into. And, and you see it here when you have that. Like I, I instantly think of the older people here. And while we have some, we have as many as any of my friends' churches I know of. But you can ask them, those who are truly plugged in, the amount of stuff on their plate. I, I think of you guys, right? Like, do you think of them too? Yeah. Just tell me. Don't tell everybody. They don't want to be called out. That's why I'm not going to call them out. I would never do that. Think of you guys. Like, think of you back there. <laughs> think of you guys, right? Think of you back there. I think of, I think of people who are doing this, and I think, my gosh, for this to work, for this body to be healthy, we have to have more people doing that. And people are not going to wait to be, like, discipled, Right? That's the tricky part with all of this. Like, people are going to come, and they're going to go, and it's not about building River City, even though I, I think it's a great thing. I think what we're trying to do here is beautiful, but it's about, like, these people wanting to see it for real. 
and wanting to be poured into in the right way. And it's about older people being like, well, I wasn't even poured into the right way. What do I do? And I think it starts with submissiveness. I think leadership, if you want to know if you're following somebody who's a good leader or not, and now I feel stupid because I'm the pastor of this church. Um, they need to wear sweaters on Sundays. So, <laughs> check. They need to... Yeah, sorry. They need to be submissive and not just when it's fun. Not just when it looks like, oh, that pastor's submissive. So we love about our church. He's so submissive. And I talk about like stuff that's stupid that doesn't even matter. Like I, that's a struggle for me. I try and be submissive, and I realize sometimes it's really just because I'm trying to like be submissive, right? But leadership, if not submissive, is not leadership. It's something else. If you have never learned to submit, you are not ready for leadership. You should not lead people. And there's times I've led people when I wasn't ready to submit, and those people are not happy with me. And they're not probably pumped about the kind of mark I left. But I promise you, I want to be that kind of leader, and I want you to step into that. Whether you're 20 and looking to become it, or 50, or 60, or 70, and wanting to flourish, like you said, the rest of my life, I want the last part of my life to be the most... I think we have to desire it, right? So, anyway... Clothe yourself in humility. The word there for clothe is the same word used when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. It's the clothing of a slave. So when it's talking about clothe yourself in humility, the clothing of your shepherd, your father God, he's talking about him putting on the clothes of a slave and becoming a slave for you. That's what he's saying to these guys. Clothe yourself in humility. And just so you know, because there's a weird connection between the first part of this, older, younger, and then be anxious for nothing, and your devil is like a lion... I was like, at first I was like, I love when passages do this to me where it's like, those two things don't go together. There's no bridge to that. And then you start to think, and God always reveals it. The first part, older people talking about becoming submissive, possibly starting to struggle with pride, possibly thinking more highly of themselves than they ought, Romans 12, 3, possibly beginning to get inflated. I'm a leader. They've approached me, right? Like feeling good about myself. Starting to get prideful, then you hear be anxious for nothing, right? When you get prideful, anxiety is following, period. If you start to feel like you are awesome at something, that something will start to feel like it can be taken away, and you'll start to deal with pride about that, and anxiety will come, and you'll have to do something with the anxiety. So the first thing you have to do is submit yourself. Second thing is put on your humble clothing. And then the devil, so this is the part I was like, where is the connection? The devil is like a roaring lion. And just like I said to you before, if a roaring lion is in here, not a cub, not a VeggieTale version of, like a line, the show you watch when you're, you don't know your kids are watching with you, and you're like, did they see it? And Nava's like, Daddy, they ate the monkey. And I'm like, that's life. That's what happens in real world life stuff. Monkeys get eaten by lions. A lion's in here, he's hungry, somebody's getting eaten, period. So how is the connection between the first part and the second part? Pride, first of all, because one of the words for devil and Satan is the slanderer which is to say things, right? Another is the accuser of the brethren, which is to accusation. It's things about you. So one of the strongest ways the enemy or the slanderer or the adversary will ever work against you is making you think things about you that aren't true, right? So that's God is truth. The devil is a liar. It's in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. The first thing he does is he questions, did he really say that to you? Maybe he, maybe he didn't. And it was about identity there. So it was like, so what's happening here? I believe, and this is the best example I can give, like an animal trying to smell food, 
is trying to find food and will find it as you get prideful, as you begin to think of yourself more highly than you ought, as you begin to say things like, no, I, I deserve this. No, I worked hard for this. Like, no, this is something I earned. I'm, I did this. Like, I, I did this work. As you start to say those things and think those things and pride starts to surface, I believe there's an aroma, and that's not scriptural at all. I just stay with me. That is enticing to the enemy because the enemy knows this person's about to fall. And so the roaring lion is not looking for people who danced, even though you probably should, I mean, be careful where you dance. It's not looking for people who are, it's looking for people who are prideful. And pride is a clear way to a fall. And so I think this passage is saying, if you're experiencing anxiety, sometimes that can come from pride, not all the time. And if that's happening, the word it uses for cast, it's, it's like this idea of throwing. And I was going to throw um, something cool. I was going to do something cool in here, but it's not going to work. So imagine me throwing something cool over there. It's literally when you have anxious thoughts. If you have anxious thoughts, casting them to the Lord. Think about that. That's different than just being like, I feel anxious today. God, take it from me, and then walking on. It's literally stopping and being like, I am anxious about this. This thing. And it can seem so real and so, so like you should be anxious anxious, and tossing it to him and making yourself feel. I've started this thing in the morning where I, I don't know why I do this, but it just helps me. I draw my prayers out and I list the things I'm anxious about that day. Because I feel like at this point in ministry, like I'm anxious for like 42 things every morning. And I literally, everything, I write it down. God, I'm anxious about this right now. I know I'm not supposed to be so... Throwing it back to you. Because if you're anxious, especially if you're in leadership or you have people under you like kids, you're gonna, it's going to surface. And that doesn't mean that you should feel shame if you struggle with anxiety. That just means I do believe Jesus wants to help us with it. He wants to help with it. And that can look different for everybody, but me grabbing something and throwing it, that feels like a clear thing to do. Like, I'm going to throw my stuff. Um, so anyway... So I wanted to show you a picture before we finish, and I, I, can't, I can't recommend this guy enough at this point. Sarah sent me a link the other day um, to this guy in Seattle that does new icons, sacred icons. And historically in the church, people who would struggle to pray and didn't know how to, sometimes they would take an image and stare at the image and com- contemplate the image, and it would help their prayer life. This definitely works for me, okay? Definitely works for me. And this is a picture, and I just want to read you the idea behind this one. I'll, I'll post the link on the prayer page, but there's like 50 of these based around different passages, different themes. This one is based around Peter and his calling. And so I want to read you what it said and see if anything jumps out to you. I'm sure it's not going to be up now. Probably not. Hold on a second, guys. Calm down, guys. All right, it's coming. feel very awkward at this point. I'm not going to find it. Anyway, so this is Peter. And this is the, the great part about this. You're reading a book written by Peter. And historically for Peter, his whole identity was built around what he could, what he could accomplish. So he was, the reason he struggled, the reason he fell, the reason he fell away from God before he brought him back was because he thought what he could do on his own would be enough. So in this image, what I love first off is that over his eyes, is this idea of who he is, right? Fisherman. 
The one on the left is Peter. The one on the right is who? Yes. Thank you, guys. So in the bottom part, this is particularly what I love. It's a yolk. Raise your hand if you know what a yolk is. It's not an egg yolk. It's a different kind of yolk. Yeah, I thought there were glasses too at first. That's all right. We grow. The, the image on the left is a world, the yolk of the world. The image on the right is the yolk of the Trinity, right? The message, and you can stare at this, and, and I, I have it on my wall downstairs now because I love it. The message to me is clear. When you're walking in who God created you to be, and Jesus is telling him who he is. He had nothing to do with figuring out who he is. Part of his calling is Jesus is telling him who he is. That's a big part of it. He didn't earn any spot in figuring out who he was. But I love that the yoke of Jesus is on the Trinity and that the transfer of the yoke of the world, as we step into our identity, as we cast our cares upon God, our yoke is easy as his yoke is easy, right? And now we see Peter as a father, not a failure. We don't see the Peter in Mark that swears that he won't deny Jesus. We see the Peter in 1 Peter that Jesus has come back, and as we said a few weeks ago, has decided when he first sees him after the failure, the best thing that Jesus wanted to do for him was make him breakfast. Make some breakfast. Over a period, reestablish his identity. He becomes the rock of the church. This failure, who now is a father to many, who loves people well, who's telling other elders, who he considers himself like, this is how you love people. This is how you create space for people. This is how you spread the gospel. And I think that's beautiful. So, if you could stand with me. And worship, you guys can come up really quick. I'm going to do three quick prayers for you. Maybe one of them will land, okay? And in fact, I don't typically do this, but I'm doing it. If you are someone, uh, everybody just close your eyes. It's not going to be a salvation call, even though if you do need to receive Christ, I would love to do that. That's one of the reasons why the church exists on the planet. And that should be happening. And we're praying about that next year that God would bring and we would see that. If you are anxious almost beyond, like just your anxiety is too much to bear. I'm not asking you to come to this. I just want you to acknowledge, everybody's eyes closed, just acknowledge that this, this prayer is for you. If your anxiety is too high. I'm going to pray for you for a second. Father, and everyone who just raised their hand... Imagine, if you can, the ball of anxiety, even if it's just a symbol at this point, even if it, you still struggle to believe it after doing this, just throwing it at his feet. And walk through it in your mind, seeing yourself place these anxieties before Jesus' feet. Secondly, elders, older people, those who have been following the Lord for more than 10 years, I want to ask you a few questions, and this is not meant to bring shame. Those who have followed the Lord for more than 10 years, for the Lord, are you pouring into anybody about the Lord? Are you doing the work of God for people that are around your life to help them love Jesus more? I'm not asking if you're a Christian I'm not asking if you understand the Bible. I'm asking if God has developed in you a shepherding heart yet. I believe he's asking some of you to step into the role of shepherding. Mm -hmm. 
everybody with their eyes closed, if you feel like God is asking you to step deeper into shepherding and loving people and being someone available for the younger people, can you just raise your hand for me? It's awesome. Lastly, are you somebody that wants to be poured into? Raise your hand. God, we honor you. We present this as a request. We need you. When we don't really know how to have the answers in in our churches, in any church I know, in our church, we ask for you to provide that need. We need people who love you so well that can pour into people. And we need those people that love well to be seen as human beings that are loving well, not not as people who aren't humans as well, that they would be healthy. Another prayer, older people who feel like they've poured so much out that they're empty at this point. Raise your hands. I'm praying for you now. Jesus, we ask you to fill them. We ask you to restore them and however that looks. If they need to get away for some time, if they need to spend some time in the woods, if they need to have a conversation with an old friend, if they need to seek out mentors that are good at being healthy, show them action steps to get healthy. Help the body of Christ to subside around them as they do that. Give them wisdom to draw boundaries. Create a healthy church. And then the last thing, and this is just a prayer over all of you. The book of 1 Peter was written to a community of people that God was saying, go and take this gospel to people. Take my message because in my message there is life and life abundantly and the world needs it. Help this church to be a church that wants to take your message to people Jesus, that you are the risen life, God, that you conquered death, defeated the grave, and you are alive and well and doing just fine. Help us to be people that carry that and see that. Give us the joy that we need, the hope that we need, the righteousness that we need, God. I also pray, God, that you reestablish sanctuaries, that we have sanctuaries that people can go to, that people can be a part of. I pray that you would reestablish the idea of the importance of being a body together being present with one another. I ask forgiveness when we walk into churches and demand that we be fed when you're asking us to be people that feed. Help us to come to the table, loving you well. God, I thank you for the example of Peter, that there was someone who felt so miserably that we see the forgiveness even through failure. And then we see that how his failures become how you use him and how he gives himself over to to the body of Christ, and we become a strong, thriving church in the first century. We thank you. If, if you're on the prayer team, could you come to the front? If you need prayer, I'm going to let you guys have some time. If you need prayer and you leave, that's on you. We have people here that will pray for you right now, and we would love to do that. So thank you, Jesus, just for a few moments, and I'll close out in a second. Father, I just pray that you would go with us, go before us. Just guide us today as we go into our week. We thank you for this body. We thank you for the gifts that come with this and the struggles. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.